Lord Jesus, thank you that you love us and that you are good to us. Please help us to understand what you say and may it be more than just words. Lord, may we feel it. May we, may we not just get facts today, but may we sense the gravity and the enormity of what happened. Lord, I pray that, that who you are would become clearer to us. The Spirit, speak, I pray. Speak through me, speak to me, speak to us. Amen. If you want to, you don't have to. I'm, I'm happy to, to speak to, to Les in the back. That's fine. I've got a cold, so you're pretty safe today anyway. Now, do you remember the story of David and Goliath? David and Goliath, of course, uh, you have Goliath there. The Philistine army is camped against them. Goliath, their giant hero, taunting Israel every morning. Is none of you brave enough? And each day the great soldiers and wise warriors of Israel run and hide. And eventually we have David, who is little better than a than an adolescent probably at this stage, arriving with some food for his, for his brothers. Maybe he was a bit older, but he was very much a daddy's boy. And he comes and he hears Goliath and he says, what is going on here? And he stands, this young man versus this giant. And Goliath taunts him and says, what, are you sending boys against me now? It's a David and Goliath situation. The seemingly powerful against the powerless. What about Daniel and the lions? I think it was Daniel and the lions, wasn't it? And what about uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and the fiery furnace and the guards that threw them in? Daniel and the powerful lions. Not much you can do when you've got lions around you. Not much when you can do when you're tied up by strong men and thrown into a fire. And then we have what Paul says. In my weakness, you are strong, God. You see what these guys all knew what the enemies didn't know is that although they were small, God was with them. That the mightiest of human might is nothing compared to the presence of our God. Here we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, we tend not to, to spend much time looking at John's version of what happens in the Garden because it's, it's quite short. In fact, John skips out most of of what actually happens in the garden. In fact, all that happens in the garden in John is that they get there and then Jesus leaves. We miss out Jesus praying. We miss out the disciples falling asleep again and again. We miss out the tears that dripped as blood from the agony that Jesus was suffering. We miss out all of those details. We miss out Judas kissing because John has Judas kissing Jesus to betray him. Um, we, we miss out that 
because John's got something special he wants to show to us. You see, Jesus, as he arrives here in the garden, is not doing it to hide from his enemies. He's not finding this quiet, dark place among the trees where nobody will find him. We're told here in in verse 1 that that this was a place that Jesus and his disciples frequented frequently. Judas would have known exactly where Jesus would have gone. This is an ideal setting for his capture. If Jesus was trying not to be captured, he would not have gone here. A, because Judas knew where it was. B, because here is a place away from any crowds that might stand up against the arrest. Here is a place that is quiet and unpopulated and dark, a place where where dark things can happen. And we see here Jesus and his disciples there, and all of a sudden Judas arrives with all of the might and power of the world at his behest. We see torches blazing. We see Jewish police and a contingent of Roman soldiers. John's the one that that tells us that there were Romans involved with the arrest of Jesus. They were quite often in Jerusalem around festival time because they were worried that the Israelites might get a bit um, rioty. And so they would send these these hardened soldiers, probably battle-hardened soldiers, to the city. And here, obviously, there's been some collusion between the Jews and the, and the um, uh, Romans already because they've organized for some soldiers to leave the fortress and come along. It's a sizable group of Roman soldiers as well. There's, there's at least enough that it warrants their commander being present, we see in verse 12. Can you picture them there, the torches blazing, gleaming off the swords and the armor, and maybe even their their shields. They come in power to arrest Jesus. If they came for me, there would be nothing that I could do. If they came for all of us, there would be nothing that we could do. You do not fight against a band like that. They came with strength in case there was trouble. John shows us here the whole of humanity. Romans, Jews, representing all of us coming for Jesus. But look at what happens. Jesus, verse 4, fully realizing all that was going to happen to him, fully realized all that was going to happen to him, and so he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for, he asked. This verse, in a way, summarizes the whole of Easter. You see, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, goes out to them. He doesn't retreat further into the garden, He goes out of the gate of the garden. He goes to them. Jesus has been saying all along that he is going to lay down his own life. In fact, he said in uh, John chapter 10 that, that he has authority to lay down his life 
and he has authority to take it up again and nobody can take his life from him but he will lay it down. You see, the story of Easter is not the story of strong men coming and taking Jesus. The story of Easter is the story of Jesus going out to them. Judas arrives with the might of the world, but it is Jesus who takes the initiative. It is Jesus throughout who chooses to go to the cross, who chose to take the punishment for our sins upon himself. And it seems that that others are directing the story. Judas betrays Jesus. Annas and Caiaphas, the, the high priests, they judge him. Pilate sentences him to death. It seems that these people are the ones running the show, but, but I think John wants us to know that it is Jesus who is in charge throughout all of these events and that it is Jesus who allows it all to happen. They don't say, where is Jesus? Jesus says, who are you looking for? They think they've come to arrest a troublemaker. Can you see those Roman soldiers newly arrived in Jerusalem? Oh, it must be someone really, really desperate. We're coming out with all of our might. And, and there's this, this gentle, meek man standing out in front of them, maybe a scraggle of disciples half asleep behind him. And he says, who are you looking for? And they don't recognize him, obviously. And they say, well, we've come for Jesus the Nazarene. And what happens next must have been such a shock for them because here they are, these these hardened police, these hardened, battle-hardened probably soldiers, and Jesus says, I am he, and they fall to the ground, step backwards and collapse, unable to stand before one man. And it's weird. It's weird, isn't it? It's, it's especially weird for us because we're not Greek. And especially, especially hard because we're not Greek Jews. You see, what, what Jesus says here in our translation, it sounds like he's just saying, yeah, me. But what he actually says is ego a me in the Greek translation. It means I, I am. It, it's not just I am, that would just be a me, it's ego a me, I, I am. And this is, this is a, an acceptable way probably to say it's me, but there's more going on here. You see, this is how the Greek version of the Old Testament translates God's name. In Exodus chapter 3 verse 15, Moses at the burning bush, he's had his argument with God. God's finally saying, okay, go. He goes, if they ask me who sent me, who shall I say? And God says to him, tell them that I am has sent you. Tell them that I, I am has sent you. Not I am he, not I am coming, not I am the one, just I am. God simply is God. In the Bible, whenever someone encounters God, they always collapse in fear. God's holiness and, and perfection is, is so absolute that whenever someone encounters that, there's this, this instinctual knowledge that we should not be in his presence. 
Have you ever been in a situation like that where you just know, I shouldn't be here? And they find themselves there and they see how perfect and pure God is and it's like it brings into sharp contrast their own life and they just collapse. Luke chapter 5 verse 8 and 9, Peter, the first time he realized something of who Jesus is, he screams out, he says, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. And he collapses. Isaiah When he sees his vision of God, he says, Woe is me, I am a sinful man, and I I am a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have beheld the glory of God. Woe is me, how can I stand? You see, what John wants to show us here is that as Jesus says, I am he, he's not just saying, Yep, it's me. He's saying something of who he really is. They say, we are looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am him, but I am so much more. And perhaps they don't even realize what it is that they've heard. Certainly not the Roman soldiers who who probably are are not well versed in, in the history of God's dealing with humanity, but, but, but there's a power at work here that as Jesus speaks, they find themselves unable to stand. They, they have that realization that I should not be here. This is not right. There is someone who is far superior to me and I dare to stand in his presence. I cannot, it's not an, even a thinking thing. It's just that my body knows I need to be down. And they collapse. They glimpsed something of who Jesus really is and they couldn't stand. Tim Keller has a wonderful sermon on this passage and he says that, he reminds us that other religions try to teach us how to find God, but Jesus is about God coming to find us. You know what? If another religion can make you find God, what then? How could you stand in his presence? But Jesus comes to find us. And he goes through all that he goes through so that when we stand before God, we can stand before God. No longer needing to fear because he has come to make us stand. The soldiers and the police experience something beyond themselves that day, and yet they still arrested Jesus. But only because Jesus allowed that to happen. He could have called down legions of angels to fight them off, but instead he willingly went with them, like a lamb to the slaughter. And you know, there's an interesting thing here. Um, Jesus twice says to them, who is it that you are looking for? And twice he has them answer, Jesus of Nazareth. The first time, they collapse to the ground. And he asks them again. And I want to suggest today that the reason Jesus insists on them telling who they want is because he really loved his disciples. You see, I'd expect them, if they were coming to quell a rebellion, to arrest not just the leader, but the followers as well. 
But in verse 8, Jesus requires that his disciples be set free. I told you that I am he. I told you that I, I am. And since I am the one you want, let these, let these others go. I can't help but wonder whether Jesus gave them a glimpse of his absolute authority to really drive home his demand, you will not hurt my disciples. You know, if Jesus had just said, yes, it's me, please let them go. I, I, I wonder if they would. I don't know. We'll have to ask one day. The Bible doesn't give us details on that. But I do think that, that Jesus' caring heart, his concern for his disciples, was their security. And it's still the security of all those who follow him today. Jesus would not and will not lose any of those that the Father has given him. Because the good shepherd defends his sheep from the wolves. The wolf back then was the Jewish authorities, the Roman authorities. Behind the pack always stands Satan. I don't know about you, but I think sometimes we like to think of ourselves as the the sheepish equivalent of Rambo or the Terminator sheep. We're a bit like Peter. We see an enemy. He saw his master, his lord, his, his guard, he believed, being arrested, and he goes on the attack. We think that when the wolves come, we need to turn and we need to fight. But a sheep's a sheep. Sheep don't have the power to fight a wolf. Can you just try and visualize a sheep fighting off a wolf? They can. How about a pack of wolves? Depends how many rams you got. Yeah. Good point, Wayne. There's the farmer speaking. But imagine a cuddly bar lamb. Because to be honest, we're not big rams even. Peter maybe thought of himself as a ram. I've got a sword! Ha ha! But it's the shepherd who does the real fighting. It's the shepherd who does the real defending. It's the shepherd who fights the pack of wolves. See, Jesus' power was glimpsed here outside the garden, but we see it most clearly in what follows. Jesus lays down his life and three days later takes it up. This is the shepherd whom even death cannot defeat. You know what happens here outside the garden, what Jesus does, even here, is a microcosm of what he would do at the cross. He draws the enmity onto himself. He takes our place that we might go free. He says to them there, let these others go. Literally, he says, forgive them. Christians are not immune to arrest and persecution and mocking, but we are 
sure because of what Jesus has done that nothing can separate us from the loving arms of our shepherd. And because of what he did on Easter, we're sure that that is true. This side of the cross, this side of eternity, the other side of eternity. This side of death, the other side of death. Jesus has defeated the wolf pack of sin and evil. And he has demanded our freedom. He's shown that he has the power to back up his demands. And so we should not be intimidated by any force of power arrayed against us, whether that is the forces of society opposed to God and his kingdom, or whether that is the voice inside of us that, that we sing about when Satan tempts us to despair. The wolf pack that calls us to wallow in guilt and shame for our past or to think we are inadequate for God. The shepherd has demanded our freedom and what the shepherd demands happens because he has already beaten the wolf. Jesus is in perfect control of the situation. We'll, we'll finish with this. But Peter, of course, doesn't like what he sees. He is, he is a bar lamb who thinks he's a ram. He's got his sword, and courageously he slashes out, not at one of the Roman soldiers, mind you, but he happens to hit the high priest's slave, poor old Malchus. Now, interesting there that we get his name and his position, um, it shows that this is maybe, well, not maybe, this is an eyewitness testimony. We also know from later on in the chapter, we think that John is the disciple of Jesus who knew the high priest, and so he would have known Malchus. He would have known his name. He would have known all about this guy, who he was. And he knows, you slashed off Malchus's ear, Peter. John doesn't tell us about Jesus healing the ear, uh, which I think Luke does. But let's just think about what Peter has done there. After so long with Jesus, Jesus' gospel plan just hasn't sunk into Peter's life. It hasn't been internalized by him. So often Jesus has spoken about how he's going to die and be raised from the dead and how he is the one who lays down his life. Jesus is the one in control even of this situation. But, but Peter is, is so much like us, it just doesn't sink in. Back in Mark 8, we've, we've seen one time already, but, but in Mark 8, Jesus um, is asking them who they think he is and, and Peter says, you are the son of God. And Jesus says, well done, Peter, this hasn't been revealed to you by man. God has shown you this. And, and then he starts teaching them about his death and resurrection. And Peter goes, no, Jesus, cut it out. Naughty, naughty. You will not die. Your kingdom will come. Come on, Jesus, pull yourself together. And Jesus then rebukes him. But you see, Peter does the same thing here. No, Jesus, you will not be arrested. You've got to fight for your kingdom. That's how this life works. Fight for what is supposed to be yours, Jesus. Fight. And one more time, Jesus, with the soldiers waiting, goes over the gospel with Peter. 
Don't you love how patient Jesus is? He's in the process of being arrested. And he goes over the gospel again with Peter put away the sword. He heals the ear. Peter, will I not drink the cup that God has given to me? You see, Jesus wasn't out to grab power for himself. He wasn't out to protect himself by whatever means necessary. He came as the rightful king. His is not just a human kingdom, it is the kingdom of God, a a kingdom of real power as we've already seen, and a, a kingdom driven by love where the king comes to rescue his people at cost to himself. You see, John wants us to see that that this is God himself willingly going to the cross for us. And I think John wants us to see, as Jesus wanted Peter to see, that Jesus was fighting for his kingdom. He fights for the kingdom not by slashing out and grabbing power, but by draining to the dregs your punishment and my punishment so that we could stand before him. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, no, one day we will see him face to face. Will we collapse like the soldiers just at his name? Tim Keller pointed out something that I really love about Jesus' last words to Peter. He says that nothing we do has or ever will stop Jesus from saving us. Jesus doesn't give up on Peter. I'm the one you want. Let these guys, Peter, okay, let them all go. You can have this guy. He's a nuisance. He doesn't get it. I spent three years with him. It's enough. No amount of not getting the gospel. No amount of not putting it into practice will make Jesus love us any less. By all means, let's, let's strive to get the gospel. Let's strive to live it. But, but Jesus rescues us despite us. And so Jesus is arrested and tied up. And the one who with a word can make them fall is bound. Isn't it ironic they try, they, they think they've captured this man. But in the end, it is Jesus who goes with them, who could have stopped it in an instant, and yet he goes. This is the one who is more than he seems. The one who is God, veiled in human flesh, who is man and who is God. The one who does it because he loves us. And the one who does it because he looks this world and the chains that bind us and he says I am the one you want I demand you let them go Anna Marie